single-tiered list. I'm your host, Josh Stroller, and with me today is the productive Jared Richard. Jared, how you doing? Um, feeling, feeling good, Josh. How are you doing? You know, I'm, it's been, a, it's been like, it's been a week and a half. It's been, it's been a, it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, last few weeks have been all right, at yeah. best. At best. Uh, at best. Uh, daily saving time hit me like a motherfucker. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I got, two hours of sleep that night and i had to be up at five brutal yeah uh so that was fun uh i got to deal with my car insurance for the first time yeah i heard about that yeah i've got my my back window got smashed in Mm -hmm. uh and a bunch of stuff got stolen and and broken so i got to to be like hey hey you want to help me with this? And they're like, your auto insurance doesn't cover this. Your renter's insurance does. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. They're like, we know, but don't worry <laughs> about it. No, don't think too hard about it. Uh, so, yeah, car that's like a month old. Mm-hmm. I had to get a, a new back window, but it's fine. You know, I really hope whoever decided that they needed to break into my back window. So the thing that like mostly pisses me off about it, I'm mostly fine with it. But the one thing that pisses me off is that uh, my... It's a hatchback that I have, so there's a little pri- what's called a privacy cover, mm-hmm. so you can't see what's in the trunk. Oh, so they were just like that dude has a cover over his trunk. That's got to mean there's shit in there. So they just smashed it and then ripped the privacy cover open. Or like, here's the shit that's in there, and took it. So they just they did it. There could have been nothing in there, and then they would have right. just broken my window. Uh, so I really hope that you know. Besides that, uh, that. Uh, however badly they needed all of those clothes and the bag and portable charger and <laughs> Bluetooth mouse that, and, and the book that I was reading, I really hope they, they hopefully they get good use. Yeah. Out hopefully of they get that. good yeah. use out of that. Uh, but outside that, uh, things have been all right. It's mm-hmm. weird that it's spring now. Uh, that was, yeah. that wasn't supposed to happen. Where's, where's the rain, but you know, outside it's, that, it seems like it keeps cut, like kind of coming in and out. Uh, yeah, we have, um, out, uh, how do I put this? Our, our house, uh, our internal comfort seems to rely a lot on, uh, on external conditions. Oh, so it's a, it's an old house. It's an old house. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, if the sun is out in the morning, Mm uh, firstly, like, the apartment that we lived in previously, uh, we basically got zero sunshine because I, I think I've explained this before, but we, we had like one window yeah. and it faced into the courtyard that was completely enclosed with four stories worth of apartments. So you're not getting any sun. So zero yeah. sun coming in for, for us. Uh, to contrast that, we have a bunch of big windows in our living room that face the sun. Right. So when the sun's out, we're like, mm, windows up, let's go, party time. And then we have this kind of mudroom situation for the front door that we never use. Uh, that the cats want to hang out in all day long, even if the sun's not out. But when the sun's out, we open it up, it gets like really warm in there. Uh, good, good toasty yeah. place for a cat. But we'll get psyched out. <laughs> 
it'll be like it'll be like yeah uh okay mango you can go in there it's warm enough now the sun's been up for a while whatever and then like an hour later we're like why is it so cold in here and then we look at we, you know it's it's just like there's the sun's gone away and we've had the mudroom door open for a while and so it's just like cold it, air. all of this cold air has just been wafting in love it's it awful uh Love yeah, it. but it's been, it's been nice. I'm very excited for a change of season. Yeah, it's it'll be nice. I'm I want it to rain a lot more than it did because I'm just afraid of a repeat of last summer. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> uh, I would like that to not happen again. Yeah, on a personal note, uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as always, uh, y'all can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Honestly, and if However you listen to us allows you to rate and review us. Uh, please go ahead and do that. It helps get, get the word out and uh, lets other people know that this is a quality podcast. Uh, so, yeah. Um, speaking of other things that are quality, um, Carrie and Lowell by Sophie and Stevens, Jared. We're going straight into it. We're going straight into it because I can't think of anything else that's quality that's been happening over the last like two weeks since yeah. we last talked. Yeah, we're let's uh, <laughs> neither of us are drinking on this episode. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a minute. It's been yeah. a thing. Um, so Karen Lowell by Stephen Stevens. Uh, this album was released uh, March thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen, on Sufjan's, uh own label, Asthmatic Kitty, that he co-founded. With Lowell from the, from the title. From the title, uh, it is his seventh studio album, and here's everyone who was on it. Stephen Stevens uh, did vocals, guitar, and mixing. Thomas Bartlett did vocals, mixing, and played the piano on "Should Have Known Better." Sean Carey, Casey Fobert, Ben Lester, Nadell Torisi, and Laura Veers all contributed, and Laura Veers specifically was backing vocals on "Should Have Known Better." So Sean, Casey, Ben, and Adele uh, all contributed, but it's not credited on what they did. Mm-hmm. Not even on, because this is the first record that we've done where I actually own the physical vinyl uh-huh. of it. So I was I was checking, you know, liner notes and whatnot. And even in there, it doesn't just, mention just, what uh, they did. They contributed they in contributed some manner. Musically. Okay. Yeah. Specifically but, musically? Specifically musically. All right. Yeah. So this entire album was written as a way for Sefian to process the death of his absentee mother, who left him and relocated to Oregon when he was, like, two or... Anywhere between, like, two and five. The mm-hmm. story always... Three, maybe four. Three, maybe four. We'll get into that <laughs> later. Uh, one of the reasons that his mom left it, his dad and moved out to Oregon was she had major depression, schizophrenia, and substance abuse issues. Right. And so when Sufjan would visit her and the second husband of hers, Lowell, um, out in Oregon uh, during some of the summers when he was uh, like late elementary school, early middle school, Mm -hmm. um, because Carrie and Lowell were only together for about five years. Mm -hmm. So this entire album is kind of based around those times that he spent in Oregon with summers with his mom and with his stepdad Mm -hmm. uh they divorced and it's a very depressing also just heads up lots of lots of content warnings for this album specifically depression uh, mental health issues suicidal ideation substance abuse uh parental abandonment parental abuse 
child like just the whole gamut of <laughs> uh stuff that you know well it'll also be in the description but just a heads up that all those topics will be touched on on this album after about four four to five years uh carrie and lowell did divorce mm-hmm. and then carrie was kind of on the street off the street no one was really sure how to keep in contact with her so really the only memories that Safian has of his mom are from this like four to five year period mm-hmm. of visiting her for the summers in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And he obviously he has a, a great relationship with Lulk because founded his record studio together mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So obviously very important people in his life. Right. Uh, so this is more of a nod back to some of his earlier work. That was more indie folk. Uh, most people think of his Michigan or Illinois album mm-hmm. as Selfian's indie folk stuff. But right. after those two albums, uh, I think Age of Ads is how you pronounce the one he did before. It was very electro, electro music, synth heavy stuff. So this is a more of a, a return to form, return in, to in form way. in that sense. Uh, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on Selfian at, large and then on this album a little more specifically uh, well, my my exposure to Sofian is uh very minimal okay um i remember uh i remember songs from illinois coming up a lot on my pandora stations when i was uh learning what good music was uh at like 15 um and uh i i just remember skipping them <laughs> uh all right I, and like i you know i can't say now why i was skipping them so much uh you just weren't feeling them at the time i just wasn't i just wasn't feeling them at the time yeah. or i don't know um but i've i've always meant to like he, he's always been on my list of like i should, should take the time to... and actually get get a full understanding of this uh this musician um and so this is my first time actually listening to okay. Sophie and Stevens. Um, and this album is uh, heartbreaking mm. um, and very effective. Uh, however, okay, <laughs> my main uh, gripe with it is that it is uh, one really good song played 12 or so times in a row yeah um the uh choice of musicality and instrumentation and production is repeated with very small tweaks from song to song um like one of the main things being like double tracked vocals that are not i don't think they're 100 percent panned but but panned left and right um that are it uh, sounds like it's processed the same way using the same microphone or and going right. into going through the same processing uh for EQ and a little bit of a uh, little bit of drive it sounds like right um and it sort of homogenizes the whole album okay. um which is certainly i would assume a an artistic choice not a an oversight right um which i can appreciate uh, and I don't think that it's necessarily to the detriment of the vision of the album or the, the, uh, the reason the album exists. Okay. Uh, but it does make it a little difficult to sit and listen to. Yeah, that is understandable. Um, a little bit about the recording process. Uh, so this was kind of recorded all over the place. Mm-hmm. Originally he recorded a bunch of tracks, 
on you know on iPhones and and whatnot. Some mm-hmm. when he was in Klamath Falls, Oregon, in a hotel room, and some of those original recordings from those iPhones do make the final cut of the track to kind of, mm-hmm. and you can hear that on some of the tracks of like the AC in the background right. type thing. Uh, and then recorded in two different studios in New York, one of them being his home office. Mm-hmm. And then in Portland, uh, went to a studio in Oklahoma and then also in Wisconsin. So a lot of different places of recording, mm-hmm. but also, as you said, a lot of the same production decisions, choices. I think the double tracked vocals are are on every single yeah. track. The other thing and... about those vocals is that... Um... Uh, well, I don't, I don't know about you, but the this whole album feels very Simon and Garfunkel to me in kind of a strange mm. way, kind of like a morning sorrow, sorrowfulness, kind of double acoustic guitar yeah. going on type thing. Yeah, I can um, see that. And uh, uh, the double, it's double tracked vocals for the majority of the song, not. Uh, not two vocalists and not a vocal, a lead vocal line in a harmony, right? Or or dueling harmonies, um, like like Simon and Garfunkel would do. Um, it's sort of uh, it, it's interesting because very rarely, but every once in a while, one of those voices will be harmonizing with the other one. Yeah. Um, or there or there will be a harmonizing layer, but uh, yeah. Sorry, it's not didn't very mean, often. No, you're fine. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I just uh, <laughs> it, no, you're it's, good. It's just a. Uh, there are a lot of interesting decisions where it's like I kind of uh, unexpected, but not in a particularly experimental way. No, I think there's a lot of I think it's a very layered album, even though it feels very raw and mm-hmm. very real. Yeah, You can tell that there's been a lot of production. There's a lot of takes. There's a lot of stuff spliced together mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing, which I think is interesting that that's how they went about creating such a raw and vulnerable album right is, you know on some tracks you know there's three or four acoustic guitar layers all basically playing the same thing but just slightly differently yeah which you wouldn't expect on an album that at face value is so just dude picking away at an acoustic guitar expressing his emotions you know right um you know and i think part of that is uh Sufian, in a quote about this album said that he originally wrote the album and recorded all these songs as a as a means for grieving his mom's death mm-hmm. and to try to make sense of it all uh but the more that he would write and record uh he would just fall deeper and deeper into what he called doubt and misery uh and that was a year of real darkness for him and that uh in the past his work had been a real uh reciprocacy of resources like he'd put stuff in and get stuff out of it Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't for this album he would put stuff in and he would get nothing in return from it so i wonder if that's also part of the way that it is processed all kind of in the same way and all Mm -hmm. sounds the same way is that he kept trying to get something out of one of the songs and he just kind of couldn't yeah I wonder also if it's sort of um, a way of putting the listener in that same kind of position. I if could that makes see sense. that, yeah. And um, Sufjan also said that uh, Thomas Bartlett, who was one of his main collaborators, consistently was pushing him to make the songs the be- what he considered the best version and the, the final versions that you saw. So I wonder if uh, Thomas's kind of vision for each of the songs kind of coalesced everything into a, a, a more... 
uh, not monotonous, but uh, uniformed mm-hmm. production ideology. I wonder if, because stuff, it seems like Sufjan was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do with these songs. And so to a, to a degree at, at some right. point, um, that's a little bit of a conjecture, but you know, um, on a personal level, like an emotional level for me, this is like probably the album that I love the most that we have talked about so far. Really? Just because it, the lyricism and the way that he does use very basic instrumentation mm-hmm. in such a, not clever or unique, but just effective mm-hmm. way. Um, it just hits me. It hits me in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, the not, I, we've kind of talked about this before on a few different albums, but the not knowing how to deal with death and loss of someone that was unexpected or you kind of knew, but not really, but knew was important in, in your life, or you just have these fleeting memories of, and you weren't able to capture the memories that you wanted to have with that person before it was too late. Mm-hmm. Um, all of his references to random ass places around Oregon right. as well. Just being like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and the desire to just be like, why couldn't the good things happen to me when I was a kid mm. that I wanted them to? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think all of that hits me on on a on deep level and i'm just throwing that out there like i'm very biased towards this album mm-hmm. objectively though i think it's uh, one of the better examples of kind of like emotional lyric driven indie folk that we've talked about mm-hmm. so far a lot of the songs do sound so similar though and yeah. that's uh definitely an issue that i do appreciate that this album has almost no percussion in it whatsoever right i definitely think it could have helped if there was some percussion in in it every now and then a little bit more. that would certainly have been a decision that could help kind of break up the the monotony. Yeah. Um, Side A and Side B are split between the songs 4th of July and The Only Thing, which are probably two of the darker songs. Uh, The 4th of July being the song where he's talking about watching his mother die, and then The Only Thing is basically suicidal ideation, but his faith in something is the only thing keeping him going uh which i think is a very interesting place to make that kind of cut off on on side a and side b right um yeah that's that that is intriguing actually right uh so yeah i i really appreciate a lot of the a lot of what he does on this album Mm -hmm. um but we're, we're being objective here. Right. We're being factual. We're, we're being factual. <laughs> we're being factual. And factually... There's no room for subjective opinions no, in art, Josh. not at all. Uh, objective art is the only art that I acknowledge. And objectively, this album starts with the song Death With Dignity. Every 
that was one of the few examples of harmony in the vocals. Yeah. Um, the see, this is going to be a, a thing as we oh, go yeah, through no. tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that because you could throw a dart at the track list on this album and you'll hit a good song. Right. There are. I don't think there are any bad songs on this album. Um, but you did just hear sonically what this entire album yeah, that sounds is, that like. Is, that is the sonic range of the album for the most part. Yeah. Um, one thing that I th- I find interesting is just on this song because I know that they're the rest of the tracks he uh, at least double tracks the acoustic guitar if not triple tracks it. Mm-hmm. But on this song specifically, I can't tell if he's using two guitars or if he is panning the uh, mids from one guitar to one sided and the bass and the treble to the other side or if it's two guitars um it's two guitars for okay. sure um well, how it it feels less two guitar-y than the rest of the tracks do like it feels yeah. way more cohesive no, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh i can definitely like hear where you're coming from with that because i kind of had a similar thought where mm-hmm. i was like is um it could have been two <sighs> Like I can't be a hundred percent certain. It right. could have been two um, two microphones on one guitar and oh, then panned yeah, left to that right. also. Um, but it uh, it's just like every once in a while it, it's like no, nah, there's no way this is one guitar. It just it just slips out <laughs> but, a little bit. Yeah. But it is so consistent between the two takes that it's like, whew, right. yeah, that's they're really together on this. Yeah, and it's it's a wonderful. This is a wonderful sounding acoustic guitar. Um, yeah, you know this. It's exactly what you would want from a small, intimate, finger-picked um, kind of singer-songwritery in the in the folk realm. Yeah, on that, uh, I really do like the double-track vocal performance on on this mm-hmm. track. I think usually the double-track vocals are very solid mm-hmm. in general. The piano in the middle there—it's a lot bigger than the guitar yeah. and the vocals. Uh, it definitely, and and the thing is, it's not. Um, it comes in after the first um, chorus. Chorus, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's uh, so you go through a, g- a good portion of the, as well as those uh, backing harmonies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go through a good portion of the song with just the acoustic tracks and the vo- and the panned vocals. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it starts out very intimate, and then when the piano comes in, it definitely fills it out sonically a lot more. Yeah. And there's a lovely kind of vocal melody and harmony at the end of the song where there's no acoustic happening, which is also a trend of the album. Mm-hmm. He ends a lot of the uh, tracks on the album with a, here's a vocal harmony, piano-y, synthy, big atmospheric sound at the end. Mm-hmm. And it goes on for, you know, 20, 30 seconds or whatever. Right. And it's very, I think it's very effective on this song. I think it's less effective on other songs. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of with the monotony of like, all right, we get right. it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. it. It was a thing as I was listening through this album because, uh, uh, you know, it w- would take me... Uh, I spend a lot of time listening to this walking to and from work, mm. um, which I get to work walking before this album ends. But okay. I wouldn't necessarily continue where I was when I would come home. Right. Um, and so I would kind of like just pick a random spot uh, to start right. in the album. Um, which I think was very helpful with that sort of uh, kind of being able to listen to the songs more in isolation. Right. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I was definitely, 
Um, sometimes less bothered by the monotony, sometimes more bothered by it. Right, which that totally makes sense. You know, I like this is a for me, this is a record I throw on when it's like rainy day out, have a cup of tea with me, mm. uh, reading a book. You know, it, it it fits that mood so perfectly. Right. That I when I'm doing that, I do not notice the extended you right. know, ending. But this time going through and being like, OK, let's yeah, critically look at it. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. this is, you're doing this again, huh? OK. Um, since this track has piano in it, yeah. I want to point out that it's a fairly similar piano tone to uh, Dennis Was a Bird. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. You're right. Stuff. And I, yeah. I remember you were referencing this album quite a bit yeah, during that so, episode. Yeah. So Dennis Was a Bird. Um, again, I think a lot of the issues that I had with that album was mm -hmm. like, this feels like a first take on a thing and you did it. And then you're like, cool, I did it. Right. Whereas this album feels like I have these thoughts and opinions and I wrote them down and then I crafted it some more and crafted it some more and thought on it some more mm. and really tried to describe the emotional state mm -hmm. and and put you in a, a, a space that I myself was in. Mm -hmm. So you can go along with this ride with me uh, in comparison to Dennis Was a Bird, which is a lot of like, this is what I felt and this is what I did and there you go. And it's mm -hmm. just a different way to go about it, but I feel like that's a Dennis Was a Bird was a lot less effective. Yeah, and that. it's also interesting... Um... You know, I just uh, was passively thinking about this uh, sometimes listening to this album because uh, one of our critiques of Dennis Was a Bird was that it was also a bit monotonous. Yes. Um, that there was kind of, you know, three, two, two and a half, three sounds, mm -hmm. soundscapes, sonic, sonic characteristics that would be used uh, throughout the album, and that was kind of it. Um, and that it felt like, you know, all of the songs just kind of fell into one of those categories. Yeah. Um, whereas this album has one <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. um, but it feels much more intentional right um uh i also you know i did not give dennis was a bird as many listens as i did this album right so uh you know i could be a bit um harsh uh well kind of a a, a bit lacking in my my arguments um lacking in in um uh, like a like a sturdiness, right? Uh, like no, a... <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I, I think for me, as someone who did listen to, I, I've obviously listened to this album a lot more than I did Dennis Was a Bird, but I listened to through Dennis Was a Bird, I think five or six times. Yeah, definitely more than I did. And uh, again, every single time, it just came down to like it just feels like you're not as refined as a songwriter as you needed to be to yeah. pull off the emotional heaviness that you're trying right. to get because i think that's I th also part of it is that dennis was a bird felt like there was a large imbalance in the emotionality of the music yeah. and the lyrics i think that's kind of what it comes down to mm -hmm. is that um with with dennis was a bird you know it was a, you know a similar sort of um endeavor yeah. in that it was dealing with the death of somebody close to you or or somebody important in your life suddenly um very well. suddenly yeah. and um that uh, is a very heavy thing that everybody has to deal with. Um, and it uh, felt like uh, Tom Rosenthal didn't necessarily have the um, musical vocabulary to 
fully express what that's like. Right. Um, whereas with this, although it's even more sort of monotonous and homogenous, um, it's it feels like uh, Sophie and Stevens to has has that musical vocabulary right. has um has that attention to detail and has that intentionality behind what he was doing and was able to um carve out a very specific um set of emotions that that um was just very like poignant and very uh em- emotive right and let let's t- listen to a slightly different take of the same kind of musical <laughs> emotionality on uh, should have known better So that's that iPhone taking the left ear there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I love the way that they produce the guitar yeah. on this. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite guitar track on mm-hmm. the on the entire album. Uh, the way that he plays it as well is very beautiful. Uh, if you want to know all of the emotions and all of the musicality of this entire album, just listen to this song. <laughs> I think this is the most complete this is what this song is about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a song about how, you know, he is trying to struggle with all of the depression and absence that he feels with his mother passing away, but he's not sure even why he does because she was such a nothing part of his life for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of the, like, pain and hurt and ways that she shaped his life by not being there, you know, which is a thing that doesn't always get talked about i feel like when mm-hmm. it, it it comes to you know parents dying or parents who were far away dying or right. people who had an emotional impact on you people don't really focus on the yeah but they weren't there for me for x y and z right. times well, i think it um you know this is speaking as somebody who hasn't particularly experienced this mm-hmm. um but i think that there is a kind of specific uh not like a role that gets filled, but a role that gets added in somebody's life when they have somebody who's important to them that is not present in their life. Mm. Um, in that, uh, you know, in, in the event that that person, uh, in that, the event that that person dies, like the, the opportunity that may or may not have been in the future is now gone. Right. The, the, exactly. the likelihood that they would ever come back into your life has just gone down to zero. And um, I think that that's um, a very uh, unique is not the word I'm looking for, but, um, you know, that's an experience that I don't think maybe people have explored nearly as much as, you know, here's here's an album dedicated to somebody who was a part of my life or here's, you know, here's artwork that that is meant to express the grief that I'm going through. Right. Um, for for somebody that was a huge part of my life versus, you know, this kind of situation. Um it's a it's an emotion that doesn't get brought up as much as it probably should, considering that, you know, it's it's a very large reality for large portion of people yeah. that have absentee parental figures, parents, family members, mm-hmm. loved one, you know, whatever that is, who don't get to have that 
resolution that they are holding on to or that that hope mm-hmm. that they're holding on to of uh repairing a relationship or building a relationship if it wasn't there right um and i really like the way that we were talking about this a little bit before we started but the way that it changed modes i think is what we're officially saying it does we- um yeah i th- we were we were talking about it um it's uh I wouldn't necessarily call it a key change because I think that the melody, ch- I, I haven't specifically listened to it enough. I think that the melody cha- slightly changes. Yeah. Um, but the chords underneath de- are definitely, definitely change from a more kind of mo- minor feel to a more major feel. Um, I want to say that's a modal change, but I'm also not a, right. I'm not a musicologist. <laughs> We're I'm trying not our very- best here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel. the topic change and and focus of the lyrics to go along with the musical change Mm -hmm. of the first half of the song being about this past that had happened Mm -hmm. and this being the present of how do I find happiness? How do I find meaning? How do I find positivity over the idea of family, humanity, whatever, Mm -hmm. and the repeating like going back and forth the second half of the song goes back and forth of nothing matters nothing's important and then well there are you know the sailors at the bar watching the waves crash over you know like Mm -hmm. i think this is a very welcome to the first organ reference of the (laughs) (laughs) i think this is specifically a reference to astoria um Mm -hmm. kind of the breakers in the bar you know the um way that the waves crash Mm -hmm. in uh specifically in astoria but i guess most mostly of the oregon coast in general but in my mind it feels astoria don't know (laughs) why um but then you know my brother had a daughter and you know the beauty that she brings so this trying to find like there is still meaning and hope and family can still bring happiness Mm -hmm. even though this idea of family brought so much pain and suffering for such a long time um yeah i think it's just a it's a quality quality track quality cut i want to just quickly touch on um all of me wants all of you uh which is the third the third track uh i think it's another one that is incredibly well played on the guitar it's layered very very well uh and you know it's a it's a song that ties together the emotional distance that he feels for both a relationship that he's in and then how that is tied to the um, childhood trauma of feeling distant from uh, his mom as well. Mm -hmm. And the childhood, like, I don't understand why you can't just be there for me. Cause you know, as a kid, he's not fully aware of like what schizophrenia does to a person and substance abuse and, um, you know, clinical depression Right. And all of that stuff. So he's just like, why are you sometimes there and then sometimes not? And why can't you just pay attention to me the way that I want you to? It's a very heartbreaking track. I'm just a ghost you walk right through. So myself on Spencer's pew. And that's also a one of the first times that, you know, the double tracked vocals 
kind of go back and forth mm -hmm. with each other as well. And yeah, uh, specifically the first time that he goes through that chorus, uh, he sings, found myself on Spencer's butte, trace your shadow with my shoe, empty outline, change my view. Now all of me thinks less of you. Yeah. And just the, the imagery that he's able to yeah, uh, conjure up with his lyricism on the, all of that. The lyrics on this album, I ha I didn't get take the time to to look up the lyrics, unfortunately. But the ones that I that I'm you know that I've caught and processed um, are really good. Yes, he um, is a fantastic lyricist. Yeah, the uh, his ability to simultaneously kind of have this narrative um sort of thing going on where um so so um using more sort of plain statements for analogy for uh for deeper meaning to read into um often like the best examples that i've found are much less um kind of objective in that initial uh understand if that makes sense like um explain it in a slightly different way um it so i was just uh talking to my roommate about lyrics because i played a record that has one of my all-time favorite lyrics on it mm -hmm. expo 86 by wolf parade which is a fucking amazing album um <laughs> good and, band. and the line uh, well, the first part of the line, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but right. it's, um, I have a sandcastle heart made out of fine black sand. Sometimes it turns into glass when shit gets hot. Right. And there isn't a sort of, uh, objective understanding of what that means. That right. is a very, um, opaque. There's very, no more interpretation. There, it's, it's meant to be interpreted. Interp yes. Interpreted. interpreted. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's written to be interpreted, um, which is the kind of lyricism that I that I love so much. Mm -hmm. um, but the the lyrics that I picked up on in this album have a have a sort of more concrete, objective mm. um, meaning initially, but can also but are also layered with this subtext, are also right. layered with this more subjective like. When he's talking about this, like he's telling a story about this, but it also means this, right? Um, and that's not easy to pull off well. No, it is. It is not the ability to be very, to equal parts be factual and theoretical, and mm -hmm. in, in the allegories that and stories that you're telling right. as a lyricist. It's it's as you said, it's much. Usually, people go one way or the other. As with that Wolf Parade one, it is right. very. However, you want to take that is what it is versus. There, there is, ten, a, there is a ten by Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh, where's my cold brew? Where he just tells you, yeah, this is what it's like to be homeless on the street. Yeah, there's you know. where where there's there is a metaphorical understanding to the lyrics, but there's also a a fuck. What's the opposite of metaphor? There's but there's still like an objective understanding yeah. of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, know what you're saying. There, there's a narrative. Uh, there's a narrative quality to it that's, you know, there's nothing to be mistaken um, in the kind of initial understanding. Right, of yeah, and he leaves he leaves that there for you to then be able to pick up on 
more of the allegorical, metaphorical yeah. context that he's adding to all of the, the lyrics. It's really Which, well done. Really well done. Yeah. Uh, I just I want... Oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I, I was going to move on to the next song. Yeah. Um, I, I We're going track by track so far. Okay, sounds <laughs> uh, good. Because I want... Uh, Drawn to the Blood. Yeah. Um, what a song. It's uh, musically... It's a bit... So, so again, this song, this album is not very dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of sticks to this one kind of central sonic um, fingerprint. Um, And, but within that, you know, there is small changes in energy, small changes in, uh, in presentation. And this is, this is one of those tracks that's sort of like, you know, we'd still have the double tracks, uh, processed vocals, Mm -hmm. and then we still have the, the acoustic guitar and you, you know, it's him singing. It's nobody, it's not somebody else. Um, but it, it, uh, it stands out musically. And so that's also a taste of kind of the long drawn out the outro outro that is present on a lot of these songs as well. But yeah, no, this is a this is also most likely one of those hotel room recordings just because of how raw and Mm -hmm. noisy the acoustic is. Yeah, that's certainly one of the things that it's not mixed with a studio tracked acoustic. It's, no. It definitely feels like, yeah, he's in a hotel room with an iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and this song, he has alluded to the fact that this is about abuse. Well, he has said specifically it's about abuse and it has alluded to the fact that it's most likely abuse that he experienced from his mom, his mother when he was a small child. Because mm-hmm. the entire song is basically about how how can this happen to someone who has done nothing wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this being allowed to happen type thing? And it also it's, this is one of the first references towards a more um, Christianity based spiritualism that mm-hmm. Sufian himself does have. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think this is one of the better handled talking about Christian spirituality and how it mm-hmm. intersects with a person's, existence yeah um similar to what we talked about on last episode Mm -hmm. with uh jamie and whatnot um but yeah this is a i think the this is where the endings start to get a little bit too repetitive for me really like i think it's on this song because the song itself is like two minutes right and then it's like a minute plus outro bit and right. i'm just like i don't know if it needed see, that that uh, personally i don't know see this is one of those things that like i had heard this song on my way to work you know that's one of the tracks that i heard on my way to work in the context of the album and therefore uh, did not stand out right um because it was surrounded by so many tracks that sound very similar to it versus like maybe that's the track that i randomly picked to start with on my way back home from work right and so hearing that track in isolation i was able to appreciate it way more and it's one of my favorite tracks on the album it is after after being able to listen to it 
outside of the context of the album. Right. I'm going to bring that up later when we're scoring this because we don't rate songs. No, we don't rate songs. <laughs> we uh, rate albums on this podcast. And we will get there. Um, so the next one that I want to bring up um, is 4th of July. Um, it's the song that is describing kind of the emotions and feelings that he had during his mother's dying moments, mm -hmm. which I think, again, not to uh, negatively compare Dennis was a bird to this because I think they are ultimately attempting to be different things. Mm -hmm. But this is the song where I'm just like, oh, this is how you successfully explain the feeling of watching a loved one die from a, a random disease that was unexpected mm -hmm. and you don't know what to do with your emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a fantastic job of transporting you to the space and to the emotion that he felt uh in those moments whether or not those are even moments that he even felt you know mm -hmm. um and i think that's something that he's very good at is whether or not this is actually what happened he makes you believe that it's what's happened which mm -hmm. is maybe more important than anything such a funny thought to wrap you up in cloth do you find it all right my dragonfly Shall we look at the moon, my little loon, why do you cry? Make the most of your life, while it is rife, while it is light. This song just ends with him repeating the mantra, we're all going to die. Yeah. Which, the amount of times that he repeats it was unexpected. Mm -hmm. But I think very powerful, because it conveys every single emotion that you would want to be conveyed from someone saying we're all going to die like what 12 times or something like that yeah sort of accepting it, it, it the repetition of it feels like an acceptance more and more with each repetition yeah um it is like kind of unexpected unexpected is the right way to describe it every yeah. time it, i got to this song i was it was like each time each repetition is like oh we're doing it again. it's going again it's going again like uh not necessarily in a bad way but just uh well, it's because none of the songs have done that up to the point. You know, right. most of the time it's been the drawn-out just instrumentation ending right. that we've been talking about. Um, it's very affecting, though. It's, it, it's mm. it, like, it's so frustrating because, uh, um, you know, I don't know that I'd necessarily listen to this track in isolation. I think this is one of my least favorite tracks on the album. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, only in that um, I feel like there are much more interesting melodies and much more mm. interesting... Um, there's much more interesting musicality in the rest of the album. You know, that's fair. Um, I understand that. But yeah, it is also, you know, kind of, you know, when you have uh, to hearken back to um, Wilson, um, when you have this many songs that stay in the same sort of palette, um, the small differences between them become much bigger you, yeah. you're looking it feels like looking in a microscope at something and kind of seeing um seeing what makes it up more and yeah. uh yeah that's one of those things um having that having that repeated statement uh at the end of the song differentiates it a bit from the rest of the album yeah um and it is very affecting yeah also the fact that this is more kind of piano and and key and synth led yeah than acoustic as well i think also changes it up in that very small but impactful way as well right and the fact that he references the tillamook burn which 
is a series of massive forest fires in the like northwest of Portland in the uh, Tillamook forest region from mm-hmm. the 1933 to 1951 that like decimated the entire place and all of them were caused by logging. Oof. Um, and now that's why Tillamook National Forest exists is because it got so burnt over. This mm-hmm. uh, state was just like, we cannot allow logging to continue happening in this area mm-hmm. and allow this to happen. But that like, there's always going to be death and resurrection and death and resurrection and you know everything is eventually going to end its time but that doesn't mean the beauty is going to end Mm -hmm. um because the reason that it was a series of massive forest fires is because the forest would burn and then trees would start to grow again right and then it would burn again and you know i think it happened three or four times so can't have death without life my guy exactly um but yeah, so just using that and then also the use of so many not uh, terms of endearment on calling, you know, son to mother and mother to son mm-hmm. throughout the entire song as well, I think is also very affecting and putting you in right. that space. Um, and then that song goes right into The Only Thing, which is a song about him just really being suicidal ideation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very dark. It's very haunting. Um, the bridge gets a lot bigger and fuller than you would expect it would, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but the entire thing is basically his... Uh, he's not sure why he keeps going, but he just kind of knows that he has to keep going. Mm-hmm. And he associates his spiritual spiritual something, whether it's an actual religion or an idea of a religion or something else mm-hmm. larger than that in general um, associates that as, as why he just keeps going. Is there banjo in that? I, th- I think there might be a... Let's go back. It could just be like some heavily EQ'd guitar or, or something of that nature, but... Yeah, there's I definitely some banjo in there. Yeah, I'm def- very, at the very least, very I'm, hearing, subtle banjo. I'm hearing three stringed instruments for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, at, at most, it's a it's a very tiny guitar. Yeah, um, but I do think there is very very subtle banjo happening uh, in there as well, um, which brings a like lightness to the track. Yeah, which is kind of uh, a little counterintuitive. Yeah, uh, a little juxtap- looks a little juxtaposition I mean, there. Uh, and also the entire thing is like, should I tear my eyes out now? Cause everything I'm seeing returns to you somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, should I tear my heart out now? Everything I'm feeling returns to you. So like talking about like everything, everything in his life returns to both his mom and then also probably referencing towards religious ab- abuse in some way, mm-hmm. shape, what well, some sense uh 
yeah, but just like the willingness that he goes to to be like, these are the ways that I thought about ending my life and then I didn't. And mm-hmm. this track is bold. Yeah. Um, not something you see every every time, but yeah. Another good one. Another good one. Um, do you have anything that you feel like we need to touch on? Because I got one, one more. Yeah, let's just, let's just do your one more, and, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Okay, we'll say we've done a good. Uh... <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Um. So, no shade in the shadow of the cross, which was one of the two singles. Uh, this along with, uh, should have known better, were the two singles off the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the use of you know like drugs and alcohol to cope with the loss of a a, a mother or anyone important, and mm-hmm. how. It just is not going. It's not going as well as he wants it to go. Mm-hmm. You could say, um, but you know, I think this is, is again a very good. Like, yeah, it's 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 well. F- it is a good version of the same song we've already listened to a bunch. Drag me to hell in the valley of the dowels, like my mother gives wings to a, a stone. It's only the shadow of a cross, you know. Like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of imagery that he's he's using on this, and also the dowels, a place in Oregon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's also it also feels one of, like it's one of the least produced songs on the track as well. Yeah, I could kind of yeah. Which again, it all falls kind of within the same realm. Right. Of everything. But I think that is also one where he used the, the iPhone recording. Oh, definitely. And, and whatnot. And it's very effective um, to talk about, you know, his struggles with using drugs to not feel things. Uh, but mm-hmm. how it's still not really helping helping him out at all. So, yeah. We got to score the thing. <laughs> we gotta, we? No, we got to listen to what some other people thought of at the time. <laughs> um, so Spin, uh, James uh, Grubby for Spin gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, he said he's not writing about the bond between a mother and a child. He's writing about the troubled bond between his mother and her child. And yet even the most casual listener can feel and hope for his catharsis. Yeah, that's a good, that is a good uh, set of statements there. It is a good set of statements. Uh, Pitchfork, which Pitchfork usually doesn't give scores in the nines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Brandon uh, uh, Stotzi gave it a 9.3. Mm-hmm. And they said, you often forget the music's there, but when you don't, it's catchy, inventive, melodic, seamless. The haunting production, too, is minimal but fathomless. The songs explore childhood, family grief, depression, loneliness, faith, and rebirth in direct and unflinching language that matches the scaled pack scaled back instrumentation there are biblical references and references to mythology but most of it's squarely about stevens and his family it's a haunting feeling that the little kid years later would create a masterpiece so knowing about suffering sadness death and loneliness in the photo because there's photos that um in the album liner there's a photo of him as a kid Mm -hmm. um eating breakfast mm-hmm. with uh, his mom in the background not looking at him mm-hmm. uh so 
In that photo, though, he's still a kid with all those kid hurts trying to make sense of the world. And at least for that moment, he's close to his mother. And it seems like maybe he's happy. Wow. <laughs> That's intense. Yeah. Um, Michael Hayne for The Guardian gave it five stars out of five uh, and said, given the album is named after his mother and stepfather, it is not hard to imagine he's unburdening himself of his childhood. The music matches the lyrics, managing to be both overwhelming and understated. Melodies match sentiment with perfect judgment. Carrie and Lowell is a delight in every way. Surely one of the albums of the year. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's what people thought about it at the time. But uh, none of those people, none of those people gave it the official tape makers score. So I those don't matter at all. <laughs> I thought you were saying none of those people matter. And I was like, damn, that's brutal. <laughs> uh, so we are ranking this out of 25. We're giving this a, a score out of 25. I'm going to go first. Go for it. Um, I'm going to give this a 21 out of 25. Okay. I, th I think, as we kind of talked about, a, a lot of the similar production values does drag it down. Yeah. When you do critically listen to the album, it is a little bit of a slog to get through. Yep. Uh, lyrically, it's beautiful. Uh, a lot of his playing is masterful. Mm -hmm. And the way that he did produce it, very, very well done. Uh, but when, you know, I think of some of the stuff that we have given higher scores or perfect scores mm -hmm. to, we don't uh, think about the list when we score I'm not, though, Josh. I'm not thinking about the list. I'm just thinking about stuff that, right. Scores that we have given. Score that, scores that we have given the things that I appreciated about them and felt like they deserved a, a closer to a hundred percent score mm -hmm. than what this does. You know, those are the things that hold it back. Yeah. I, I, I think that the fact that it took listening to the some of these tracks out of order and out of context of the album made mm. the songs better speaks a lot to um how the album as a whole is maybe not as good as it could be right um the tracks are so good the there's not a bad track on this album no um but the uh, the album is the homogenous nature of it is it's just, less than the sum of its parts, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was just thinking about this earlier is that, um, you know, the 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 whole being greater than the sum should be something that everybody endeavors in in every piece of art, in my right. opinion. I think that that part of what makes art affecting is this sort of. Um, intangible thing that that happens when you have everything working together or when you make right. bold decisions that um, that will put the the listener or the viewer uh, in a in a place that they weren't expecting right um, and yeah being that the the fact that these songs are collected in an album, bringing the, the the individual songs down um I, th I i would say 20 out of 25 okay um so we're right around yeah there the the songs are really fucking good songs, God. <laughs> like honestly just what what i recommend to to experience this album is listen to three songs and then stop 
and then listen to three songs and then stop and then listen you know like just do that right uh you don't have to go through this whole album well i honestly i think that maybe listening on on vinyl is probably the best way to go because then you have you have a physical stopping point where you Mm. have to take a break between sides no matter how short but it is there right you know i mean there's times i'll put on a record and then you know i'm doing whatever and it's 20 minutes before i flip it over right and, you yeah. know it's like in that situation that would be that would be great I, a great I, way to start a morning for me i do highly recommend this on vinyl it, it sounds fantastic yeah on vinyl all right so if we're giving it a uh, let's see here so if we're going to give it a 20 if, I'm, I'm willing to go down with you and say mm-hmm. 20 mm-hmm. um i think that that extra one was a little bit of like I listened to it on vinyl. I've I, I know that, this that was album. Your own personal, yeah, that was my own personal. Yeah. I'm willing to admit that. So if we're gonna give it a twenty, um, let me do this math. All right. So if it is twenty mm-hmm. out of twenty-five, that is gonna be the new number six. Where does that put it? What does that put it between, Josh? So uh, currently, number five is "Let It Die" by Feist. Okay. Number six is "Mass Seduction" by Saint Vincent. And Ooh. number seven is Boarding House Reach by Jack White. Mm, that's hard. That is hard. Um, so I'm going to show my personal bias here and say I think it deserves to be the new number six and, and knock down St. Vincent. Um, wait, wait. So, so it'd be the new number six. Right, so it would get the score that we just gave it. It would get the score and, that we okay. give it, and I don't think it goes above Let It Die by Feist, because I think that no. is a more complete vision of an album. Yeah. But I do think the intention of this album is better than what Mass Seduction was by St. Vincent, even though I do really, really like St. Vincent's work on that album. I just... It, yeah, that's just, a per- that's just a personal bias. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's hard, but I think I'll agree with you um, in that, like, I really enjoy um, Mass Seduction, mm-hmm. um, but the emotional tracks don't land with me nearly as well as the as some tracks on this album do. Right. And I think in general, even though we think it's the album itself may be slightly weaker or there or thereabout, mm-hmm. every single track on Carrie and Lowell is absolutely good where there are some tracks on mass seduction that are like this was yeah, okay definitely skippable tracks and this is this is fine margins that we're going with here but i'm yeah. i'm good with i'm good with knocking knocking that down so yeah we did it wow when was the last time we we gave it a score and it, and that was we agreed on the score and then we didn't bump it either direction um 10 by pearl <laughs> <laughs> i'm just I'm just drinking melted ice at this point. That's a that's a bottle that is not open. <laughs> All right, wonderful. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about. I always forget the name of the album. Future Perfect by Auto Lux. Yeah. drinks uh did what you needed to do uh so we're gonna continue with the second album today uh future perfect by auto lux this is their debut album uh, it released october 26 in 2004 
and Autolux consists of Carla Azar uh, on drums and vocals, Greg Edwards did guitar and vocals, and then Eugene uh, Gorsher did bass and vocals. And the band was originally formed when Azar and Gorsher met while scoring uh, the play Accidental Death of the Anarchist. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so their first EP that they released was a live recording onto a eight track mm-hmm. that they then just recorded in their rehearsal space mm-hmm. that they had. They recorded the live album itself slightly differently. Uh, they recorded it over the course of 2002 and 2003, all live, mm-hmm. instead of doing the eight track of do a few takes, bounce it all down to one take and, right. and add more stuff to it. So they recorded it, everything being live, and then they would kind of go back into the studio just to do overdubs. But mm-hmm. their producer wanted the album to have as much of a live feel as possible. So it's... Mm-hmm. All recorded live, you know, they're not going in and doing multiple different takes. This is another shoegaze band ish. Mm-hmm. Uh shoegazy the, the influences noise are... rock, psychedelic rock, experimental rock. If, if I could summarize this album sonically, I uh, pun accidental. Uh-huh. Um it it literally just feels like okay, they love Sonic Youth and my bloody Valentine, and that's uh-huh. all they've ever listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, this band has a, a strange history in general when mm-hmm. it comes to stuff that they've done and people they've recorded with. So they r- record a lot of music for art museums. Interesting. To be like the backing music for exhibits and whatnot. Uh, and so they're touring people that they have toured with is as wide ranging as Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Nine Inch Nails. Makes, Makes sense. sense. Beck. I mean,. Okay. Right? Yeah. So they just have a very wide... They like they tour with anyone. They write music when they feel like the time is right. Like, they're a very... We have so many other projects going on type thing. Mm-hmm. Band that... You know, the band is still the main creative outlet that they want to have, and it's the one that they have the most freedom over. Right. But it's not the... But they spend a lot of time being paid to write music for a other specific things. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And in other ways. Yeah. And... The f- most famous person going into this album was actually Greg Edwards, because uh, he was famous for having a, a cult 90s band called Failure. I don't know. Yeah. Hit ma- ma- cult success all in right. the 90s type thing. Um, and that's really all I kind of got on this this album specifically. You know, this band is one of those, if you know them, you're... You know them, and then if you don't, there's not really a whole yeah, lot you, you, you can't can find be like, out about Oh, you it. probably heard this one song or this uh, this right, one other exactly. song. So you have some background. I had no background on this band. You, you have zero background. I have zero point one background. Yeah, so tell me your point one background. Um, I had a friend in high school. Um, uh, her name was Rosanna. She was great, uh, and she we would exchange mixed CDs all the time. Right. Um. And I got introduced to a lot of really good music that way. Uh, and she put one Auto Lux song on here from this album, mm-hmm. and it was called um, "It's It's uh, Sleep at the Trigger." Oh, okay. Um, that which is of all of the tracks on this That's album, we'll get to it. But one. it's it's an outlier outlier on this album. <laughs> and so I I had no idea what to expect. Although that knowing that that was the only song that I knew from this album, I was surprised at what the rest of the album sounded like. Yes, that is fair. Uh, apparently, 
Turnstile Blues was like the big hit off of the album, mm. which is also very funny because I'm just like, that's not the rest of the album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you th- what do you think of the album? Um, I think that it's really really enjoyable. Um, like I said, it's it uh, it sounds like Sonic Youth and My Bloody Valentine, but more listenable than either of those. Mm. Um, I think you know we talked about My Bloody Valentine. I'm not going to go too much back no, into that. You're good. Uh, Sonic Youth, I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate conceptually, um, and they've got a lot of tracks that I love. And uh, but I also am like, yeah, I if somebody hasn't listened to Sonic Youth, I'm not going to be like, you need to listen to Sonic right. Youth. Um, You're like go, go with God, and if God says Sonic Youth, then, then go with Sonic Youth. Yeah, I, uh, um, they're they're right. they're one of those really important bands that like is not bulletproof, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, like a um, lot a lot of bands are incredibly influential and important, but also time maybe has not been the nicest to them, right? Uh, and yeah, it seems very clear that like these these people loved th- those two bands specifically. I would also throw in Yola Tango as a band yeah. that they were very much influenced by. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good one too. Um, and but but it's extremely lis- listenable. I don't think that there's anything uh, that stands out about this album as like uh, you know there's like this one thing or this handful of things is incredible about it. Um, I don't think that it's like an album that everybody needs to listen to. Right. Uh, but if you, if this is a style of music that you enjoy, if any of the bands that we've said are like, you like a couple of their songs or anything. Or then, like people who influenced them. Right. Or are influenced by them type thing. Yeah. yeah. It's totally worth checking out this album if, if it's in your wheelhouse. Right. Um, how do you feel about the album? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> uh, this is the most. I don't know how I feel about an album that I've ever felt because this is an album that I love having on in the background. Yeah. This is a fantastic background noise, doing other stuff, slightly paying attention to it and being able to appreciate the beautiful craftsmanship that comes up in the musicianship and Mm -hmm. the uh, performance. But then when I go to intentionally listen to it, I'm just like, oh, God, this is difficult for me to like get through interesting and i think it's because the songs are just like so sporadic both in their quality where they go how experimental they are Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel like there is you know it similar to like a yola tango um right or even uh sonic youth my bloody valentine and stuff like that uh it feels like the sporadicism of some of those bands and the way that they write their music had a bit more musicality and direction to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Auto Lux, and we'll get to some of them, um, but it just is like, oh, and then you decided you you were just going to go in this completely separate direction mm-hmm. for 30 seconds in this five minute long song. And that was really, really cool. But I don't know how to process that. Hmm. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why. That is the case for me, uh-huh. but my brain is just like does not want to be able to compute what they're going for in a way that is enjoyable when I'm intentionally listening to it. But hmm. when I'm have it on in the background, I love it. Right. And uh, so I I really don't know how I'm going to feel about this until we talk about all the songs. Right. Uh, but like it's obvious that this is masterfully performed. They're all incredible 
incredibly yeah. talented musicians. Um, but yeah, it's it's just I've never felt I've never felt this way about an album. Wild. Uh, so I kind of don't know what to uh, what to expect what, uh, what, at the end of this. After all of that, what a uh, what a juxtaposition to uh, Carrie and Lowell. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we are going to start at the start, and we're starting at the very start because. If nothing else, the first 10 seconds of Turnstile Blues Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite 10 seconds of music I think I've ever heard. So trashy. So much room. It's... I love it. I love that tone for the drums. You hear that... And you see that's 2004, and then you look at every single band that has released slightly trashy drums after that, and you're just like, "Oh, okay, this is what you're trying y'all to do." Y'all are just sampling. Uh, y'all are just sampling Future Perfect. Yeah, huh? you're all just sampling <laughs> this. But yeah, so Turnstile Blues is probably the most. I don't know. Would you say it's the most approachable song on the album? Um, I. Uh, no. Okay. Um, but. See, I don't know. See, to me, like I don't, I don't have this blockage that you have. To me, this is like a perfectly listenable album. Like this, <laughs> this no, this, like, I, you know, I was serious. This feels like Sonic Youth minus the things that make most people go, oh, right? No, and I, I, again, this is a completely listenable album when I'm not paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just the way that it it goes about its musical choices and its stylistic choices in in the way that it builds and falls and i think it's a little i think part of it is that it it falls a little bit too much into that uh 90s trap of quiet loud of like oh the pixies did it so we gotta do that do you know who you're fucking talking to right now josh (laughs) no i know i know exactly (laughs) who i'm talking to uh but i think like it's a mixture of everything is built around that specific thing but each quiet and each loud is so different in a way that I do enjoy, but when I listen to it, I it just doesn't. I don't want to listen to the whole song. Right. Inten- like when I when I went through the intentional listen to it, I was just like, I don't know if I want to listen to this whole song. Can I just skip well, this track? Let, I don't know. Let's get let's... some playback on on a more uh, filled out section of the yeah. song. You That's, can't help but bob your head no, to that. And this is one of my. This is a song that is a highlight for me. I yeah. think it is. Um, like I said, I think it's the most approachable yeah. song on the album. So I think that's part of why I'm just like this is a this is a certified banger. Uh, I also I love the fucking handoff of uh, the shake vocals. The, for yeah. the vocals. Oh, it's so uh, good. Yeah, I. It took me a few because li- their voices are also like kind of oddly similar yeah they they all fall uh, within the same dynamic range in, yeah in timber, timber. Uh, and so for a while i was like is this like a separate vocal take of the same singer is this like a room mic versus a close mic or something and it's right. like oh no okay yeah no this is two separate vocalists <laughs> but they just hand off for the last two shakes yeah of that their lamb's tail <laughs> it's very it's very, no it's, it's really well done and i love how I love how fucking dirty that bass is. Yeah. 
Uh, I've got some. I got. I got a few gripes with the bass tones sometimes throughout this album. I'm gonna oh, be real. Yeah. Um, there are a few times where I'm like, I can, you know, it's it's all lows. <laughs> sometimes just it, it's right. very scooped, and I'm like, I could use with. I could do with some more definition in yep. the bass, but uh, give me just a touch more mids. Right. Just yeah. a touch. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, like I think it's it's obviously it's a fantastic start, but it's a it's a almost six minute long track, and I think that's part of, not that long tracks are bad, right? No, but it does feel long. It feels long. I think that's the biggest issue with the album in general is that every single track, for me at least, feels a bit long. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels a, a bit similar to some of the stuff that we had to say about My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Which was, you had your ideas, and then you didn't really do anything else. Right. Uh, but it's still the length that it is. But I can bob my head to this shit. No, that's fair. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying... I'm not. I'm not saying you can't. I'm. I'm just saying, uh, Angry Candy, which is number two. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really, really enjoy this song. Uh, it's it's more towards the middle of the album that more of my concerns and complaints mm-hmm. about uh, the way the album flows and feels and all that stuff comes into play. Mm-hmm. But you know, Angry Candy is a very. It's a very enjoyable song. I love how it, that hits. And I think this is where it's at their best. This is a very, this song specifically is very Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I can, uh, yeah. <laughs> if we're going off of the um, comparisons that you made earlier. Um, but yeah, just the way it builds. Uh, her. I think it's, I think it's her voice. I think she's the one singing. Sometimes it's hard to tell. The drummer? Yeah, the drummer. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that. Carla, I think it's Carla. I think it's. I, I don't think it's Carla. I don't see. As we said earlier, it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> Anyways, does a fantastic job. Um, I love that little buildup also into the heavy chorus as well. The mm-hmm. um, way that they build on all that. And again, this is where it's the band at its its very best. Like punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. A little bit of psychedelic rock. A little bit of shoegaze. Just wall of sound with you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we're yep. gonna ha- I'm going to have a little bit of struggle. Uh, sorry, just real quick. I'm going to have a little bit of struggling with song names. Uh, it I had a- so hard to, on this tr- album specifically, it's so hard to remember which song is which. I, yeah. I get it. Um, I just would never pull my phone out to, you know, the next song would start and I'd just be listening to it. And I would forget to take the time to actually learn the, the track names. Right. Um, the next one, I... I feel like we can s- skip over Sub-Zero Fun because it's yeah. a little bit similar to kind of Angry Candy-ish. Yeah, I would love to talk about Sugarless. I sure. also would love to talk about Sugarless. Another highlight, in my opinion.
I really enjoy music that is uh, that is heavy in terms of the production and tone. Uh, but in terms of the uh, emotive experience, is not. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it's uh, it's heavy without being um, without being angry. It's heavy without being uh, uh, showboaty. Right. Um, it it hits a very specific spot. That kind of like post punk. Oh yeah. Uh, like you know, I'm playing a distorted guitar, but I uh, am not. Uh, I'm not showing off. I'm not. I don't have to be mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just like the way it sounds. Right. Yeah. And and also it's a very um, it's a very intimate song while still being disgusting at the same time. Yeah. In the best well, way possible. You know, it's it's uh it's those major fluctuations between these quiet and loud sections. Yeah. It's the it's the you know dynamic the, shifts from from. It's the A, a to B. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's no, more more sure. like A to X or A, A to L. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's the pixification of uh, alt rock. Uh, pixification. Yeah, like uh, like kid picks. Exactly. You remember, <laughs> you remember kid picks? I do. <laughs> kid picks studio. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. No. And, and again, this is a song that it it does kind of follow a little bit of what we've already seen from mm-hmm. the band of like quiet, loud, quiet, loud, loud, quiet into loud mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and again, this is one that's over five minutes yeah. as well. And I think again, it, did it need to be? No. Is it fine that it is? Yeah. But it, see it's... the only, the only track to me that felt like it dragged was turnstile blues. And it wasn't even like it dragged. It was just that it was long. I thought it was that I thought it was over six minutes. Right, and every time I would look at my phone or my computer to be like, "How long is this track again?" Oh, it's it's under oh, it's six under minutes. six minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also want to touch on blanket right after sugarless. something on a guitar most likely yeah no it's most likely on a guitar but i i i i I have been scratching my head every time i listen to it and i'm like i it i think it's a i think it's a pedal i think it's a a pedal and some pinch harmonics i don't think it's pinch harmonics i think i think it is a pedal for sure uh but it doesn't i i don't know it feels very influenced by Tom Morello of like, how can I make a guitar not sound like a guitar while it's, still being a guitar? It's Sonic Youth to me. That's oh, okay. that that moment is the most Sonic Youth moment Interesting. To, okay. in this album to me. Okay. Um, so this is actually a song that I have a little bit of like, I love parts of it, but I don't like the whole song. Like I love the bit that we listen to. I'm and taking then, this personally for no, some reason. <laughs> like I love the I love the bit that we just listened to, and it falls away into kind of what um, we faded out of, where it starts to be a bit bigger and just falling more kind spaced of like noise, out and yeah. spacey noises. And I'm just like I, this doesn't feel like it should. It works as well with the large heavy chorus mm-hmm. 
that in a way that I want it to mm-hmm. um, as much. And I think that's part of the like difficulty that I have sometimes where I'm just like, Oh, you this... would have preferred a quiet section there is what you're... I, I don't, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> Josh just flipped me off. Uh, not that I would prefer a quiet section, but just like the, 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 the times they do get very experimental and very noisy mm-hmm. with the music. I just, it just doesn't work for me as well as it, it obviously is working for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's the fact that maybe I have to pay attention to those bits and I'm just like, I don't want to be listening to this right now, but I want to be listening to this section of the song, mm. but I don't want to be listening to this section of the song mm. is where all of those kind of mixed emotions get to. And when it's just in the background, I can focus to the bits that I, I like a lot and kind of tune out the bits that I don't like as much. Sounds like we're going to have a discrepancy in scoring. We are definitely going to have a <laughs> discrepancy in scoring. Uh, do you want to talk about anything besi- before Asleep at the Trigger? Um, I definitely want to talk about Here Comes Everybody. Okay. Yeah, right. let's let's skip ahead to Here Comes Everybody. Uh, right. I Sounds good. I We have differences of opinions on the last couple tracks before that, but we're, uh, let's just, uh, let's move this along. <laughs> okay, so here comes everybody. giving light silver sun pickups today oh this is definitely silver sun pickups definitely uh definitely listen to auto lux <laughs> uh that much is very obvious um yeah i uh see i that's the thing i don't think that there's a bad track on this album i think that mm. like uh there are definitely m- more forgettable tracks right um and this is one that maybe isn't a standout to me, uh, but it's important. I wanted to bring it up specifically okay. for the outro because, uh, well, actually, we'll come back to that. We can go to the outro right now if you want. No, 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 no. Okay. No. I-, I want the audience to experience this with me. Okay. <laughs> we'll, I'll, we'll have a specific thing. Um, but, yeah, this song, I don't know, this song's just enjoyable. The last, it... it hits in the same way the last three tracks have, which maybe makes it a little homogenous when it gets to this one. Right. Um, uh, makes it a little samey. But I, I don't know. I like it. I, I like every track on this album. I mean, I, I do like this track a bit more than some of the other stuff that we did pass over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got that... It's got a similar kind of, like, low-watt amp that's getting pushed all the fucking oh, way on yes. the guitar and it's so and then the, the bass has like five different distortions on it and an octave <laughs> for no goddamn reason but it's it's great um i think for me it is kind of as you said a little bit it's a it's a little samey in comparison to some of the yeah. stuff and it's a it's a good track but i don't think it is a standout on yeah. the album either um the reason i wanted to skip to it was one for time and two <laughs> Uh, if we could just skip ahead to the very beginning of Asleep at the Trigger. The very beginning of yes, Asleep at the Trigger. just play the beginning, like, first ten seconds or so. Got you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I've been listening to this song since I was 16. Right. Right. Uh, and I never knew what was making that noise, what was making that tone at the beginning. Okay. Uh, and so it was this wild revelation when if we go back to uh, the last song and listen to the outro. Listening to the, listening through this album, and I remember specifically which corner downtown I was when I when when okay, the transfer yeah. was made from one track to the next, and I was like, okay, this you know, there's like a minute or so, minute minute twenty seconds maybe of uh, of somebody playing on this like dinky toy piano, and yeah. it's like a little out of tune. And you can hear the clicks of the keys as they're playing with it, and there's yeah. this like synth bass thing going on in the background, and I'm like, this is a fun like. I enjoy stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, there's like a couple of really wonky chords. Like it sounds like they played the wrong keys. Like their fingers are too big for it. Right. Um, and like, I like stuff like that. I think that that's fun and enjoyable. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but at the very end of that, it ends on a, it ends on a single note. And that note is the re- re- is the looped repeating note that goes through the background of Asleep at the Trigger the entire time. Right. And that just blew my mind because I've been listening to this song for a decade, Josh. I never knew what that was. And like I didn't in it and up until the transfer the the switch to the to Asleep right, at the Trigger yeah. was made, I didn't even it didn't even Dawn come into you. my mind that this is what made made that tone. Yeah. And well, then it happened well, and I was like, what? That's all, that's also the beautiful thing about listening to you know songs in context. Yeah, is that you get to find out those little small right. nuanced details of how they decided to transition into it. And if we go a little bit deeper into Asleep with the Trigger. That's just how you want to experience noise and a slightly experimental that rock song music. is it's a fucking warm blanket and hot cup of tea for me. Seriously, it is. It, it just it's so relaxing and it feel it's it's one of those like content songs where yeah. it's like you know I haven't I still don't even know what the fucking lyrics are. I've been listening to the song for a decade. All that matters is that it makes me feel good. Right. Also, incredibly different than the rest of the album. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's a great song. It's it's a it is definitely a highlight. Yeah. Uh, track. Can't uh, imagine anybody not liking that song. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't trust you if you don't like that song. Uh, I feel like the last one. If you we, don't like that song. You go fuck yourself. But like respectfully. But like respectfully. But like yeah. respect. But like go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like go. Just go listen to it again. We, we, <laughs> we promise you'll you'll like it if you listen to it one more time. Uh, the only other track I feel like we need to touch on is Plant Life. This is where 
Bloody Valentine right. comes in. Uh, just, it's a very, it is a much more approachable version of what My Bloody Valentine started as a musical yeah, concept. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic uh, overdubs that they did as well. Mm -hmm. um, just really, Plus, really well done. Fraction of the budget. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it still took it still took them two years to to you know record it, but that's more because they they were busy doing right. other things, not uh, spending a quarter of a, a quarter of a million or whatever the fuck. <sighs> God damn. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just like a very very good song. A very, you know, when this when the songs are good, they're fucking good. Yeah. They are fucking good. Uh, so let's see what other people thought of this being fucking good. Yeah. Uh, all music. Uh, John D. Lucerne uh, gave it four stars out of five. He said, meshing the guitar blur of the shoegazer movement. He lists off, you know, like Lush, My Bloody Valentine, Pale Saints. Mm -hmm. With traces of indie rock royalty, such as Sonic Youth and Ivy. <laughs> Uh, it's hardly, I guess we fucking nailed it, huh? Yeah, we did. It's hardly what you might expect uh, producer T-Bone Burnett to stand behind, but the trio it excels as it thumbs its nose at the new wave revival movement of the early 2000 or 21st century via the hypnotic hypnotic sugarless, the liffy, lit, mm, lilting and riff-sturdy trigger and the menacing whirl of blanket. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, little summary right well, there. Yeah, pretty good summary. Uh, Peter Messia for Pitchfork gave it an eight point three, and said in the first ten seconds of the album opener, Turnstile Blues, Carla Azer shames most every beat maker with her ridiculous uh, leaves that come bottom percussion. <laughs> that said, the album sounds like the work of a band that has been suspended in animation for the past five years hidden away from the torrent of new wave revival and the return of disco as a viable rock touchstone. Azar, Edwards, and Gorsher now emerge from their slumber, preserved and prepared, ready to scorch the earth with their afterburn. <laughs> All right. That was, a, that was a fun little story we just went through. He just really wanted to get some... He just really wanted to put down how much he hated uh, New Wave and Disco, apparently. Apparently. Also, apparently, New Wave and Disco revival in the early... 21st century oh we all knew about that one yeah, i know but just like huh okay <laughs> he hated it that much when, when did that song by the cardigans come out <laughs> yeah audra schroeder uh for the austin chronicle gave it four stars and said autolux envelops the listener with both massive amounts of feedback and hands full of pop bliss opener turns out blues trots out under azar's bonham light <laughs> beats and velvety vocals while sugarless sounds like every great shoegaze tune distilled into one furious echoing drone book ended with edward's bulldozer guitar the last six songs however lose touch with ground control and go spiraling into the ether hmm interesting <laughs> yeah um i kind of get it i kind of get what uh they were going for there right uh but it doesn't matter what they were going for it matters what uh what we're what going, we're going for, for. Uh, and what we're going for is to rate this out of 26. 26. Jared, what do you think this is out of 26? Out of 26... See, so my reservations with this album is that it does, uh, it does get a little samey in the middle. Right. Um, and that... While Asleep at the Trigger elicits a very uh, specific emotional response from me. Obviously. The rest of the album, not so much. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it it's fun and I thoroughly enjoy it and I don't, there isn't necessarily anything I dislike about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, as a work of art, you know, it's, uh, it's not something that I'm, that I'm turning to for, uh, anything, uh, you know, anything deep and meaningful. Right. Uh, but, but it, on the... But, on the opposite side of that as well, it's not... But you uh, also enjoy this. Yeah, no, I enjoy it, um, but also it's not something that's like... Uh, this is like an extremely unique and exciting thing right. that I enjoy. Um, so, like, for instance, another album that I uh, that I really enjoyed and that is, like, a lot of fun, like, it's a very fun, not necessarily emotional, deep, meaningful album for me is uh, I Don't Know How. Right, yeah. Um, which, again, we had some differing opinions on that. We did. Um, but but that's, that one is so, like, infectiously fun to me. Right. Uh, that, it, that it's... Uh, you know, it lands in a different spot for sure in my list. Um, I am definitely going to listen to this album again. And I'm going to start listening to the rest of Auto Lux's discography. Yeah, and I want to check out their other two albums after this for sure. Um, so out of twenty six, yeah, out of twenty six, I'd say like a nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Okay, Josh. Josh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How are you feeling about this album? I'm Josh? feeling that this is. I I enjoy the album a lot. I don't know if I ever want to have it be my main focus when I'm listening. Like it's mm-hmm. one of those albums that will put some songs on playlists. Mm-hmm. Will throw the album on in the background. I I never want this to be the main focus of what I'm doing. Unlike other albums that we've talked about, that I would want to right. sit down and specifically listen to it. That being said, I absolutely love so many of the sounds. The vocalists all of them are fantastic vocalists Mm -hmm. also really well written songs for the songs that i do enjoy so i'm gonna i i'm going with a 17 17 17 out of 26 so that's uh that's putting it at at, at 18 yeah we could i'm I'm fine with an 18 yeah i could do i could do 18 you you feel good about 18 um ish yeah that's good enough you know that's like a b right yeah that's like let's let's (laughs) Let's math real quick. That's not how math works. I don't know what I'm doing. Hang on. It would be a 70. So it'd be a C. I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah, it would be a C, huh? Yeah. All right, well. But, like, that's not what matters. Nah. Okay, where, where's it landing in the list? Yeah, okay, let's uh, give me one sec to make sure we're getting in the right place here. So that'd be with it being 18 out of 26, that would put it in the new number nine spot. Okay. It would bump down I Go Missing My Sleep by Wilson. Mm-hmm. If it did that, it'd be right underneath Boarding House Reach by Jack White. I'm fine with that. You're going to argue uh, against that? You're I'm gonna... thinking about it. Well, well, if we bumped it down, where would it land? If we bumped it down? It'd be between Wilson and... It'd be between Wilson and The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars by David Bowie. I mean, that's a respectable spot, too. That is a respectable spot. I'm trying to decide whether or not... You know what? Mm, mm, or do you, mm, are you, you're deciding if mm. you like it more than... Uh... No, I'm not deciding. Okay. I'm, I'm, the question is Wilson. Yeah. Because like, I really, really like Wilson. Mm-hmm. 
but also I recognize that that is more of an emotional, I like the way that they make me feel rather mm. than how good the album is. Right. Um, and so I think, th- I think I need to put aside my emotions and I need to allow Wilson to, to go down. All right. And put Future Perfect by uh, Auto Lux in as the new number nine. All right. Let's do it. And I think that is very respectable. We're going to lock it in. We're going to lock it in. And it's right in... You know what? It it does not deserve to go about above Boarding House Reach. I don't, sure. I don't think so either. So, yeah. So, But also, you know, Wilson or Auto Lux, that is a very good, like, what mood are you in? What do you want from your music that yeah, day? Yeah, I think but, that's a good... Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. All right. So give me one second to do all of this shit. With Future Perfect added, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to run down our top five and bottom five on the list currently so far. You can always go and check out where the list is at by checking out the link in the podcast description. It has the newest episode and every episode we have done so far. So you can see how the list has changed and grown over the weeks. Yeah. So currently, the best album we've ever talked about mm. is Jamie by Brittany Howard. Mm. Right behind that, at number two, is Eons by Mimikin Birds. Right behind that. So close. And then, you know, a respectable third place, uh-huh. a respectable on the podium, is The Crane Wife by The Decemberists. Oh, so good. Coming in fourth is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. And mm. number five, Let It Die by Feist. Holding on. Was not expecting that. But good, yeah. good for Feist. Good for Feist. Good for Feist. All right, and now we're going to the, uh, you know, you can't have good music without bad music. That's true, actually. Like, there, the duality of man, the duality of music. <laughs> All right. So, currently, the bottom five is mm. at number twenty-two, mm. the fifth worst album of all time. Big Mass by Danny Elfman. God, fucking damn it! But worse than that, a worse album than that. Mm-hmm. Far worse. At number twenty-three, wor- worse. Far worse. <laughs> it's ten by Pearl Jam. <laughs> Where's my... (laughs) But, you know, worse than that is Dennis Was a Bird by Tom Rosenthal. Mm -hmm. At number 24. At number 25, oh man, it's it's Wasteland Baby. Wasteland Baby! Wasteland Baby! By Hoysier. And then, you know, just... You need someone to denote where the end of the marathon is. When cars can start, you know, right. following through. And uh, number 26, just right. bringing up the rear, letting us know where, where the end of everything is. It's uh, Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes by Mr. Jimmy Buffett. You know, you can't have one without the other. You Josh. really can't. Uh, but I don't think Jimmy Buffett cares because he's a billionaire. So, <laughs> And that is where we are currently at. And now, Jared, it's, it's time for us to pick new albums. Yeah, and I don't think I've updated my list. You didn't, but I updated... Uh, my list during the break. Oh, he's so on. Josh is so on top of things over here. <laughs> so, so on top of being like, oh, oh shit, in like 45 to an hour from now, I have to pick a new album. Fuck. I will go first. There you are, We got sir. the 10-sided die. I'm just really hopeful it does not land on a 7 again, because I've landed <laughs> on 7 for like five weeks in a row. It's an 8. Oh, we're moving up Hell in the world. Yeah. So we're doing Sound of Silver by LCD Sound System. Excellent. I've been uh, I've been wanting to listen to some LCD sound system. Same here. Uh, all right. 
I got a five. Five? Yeah. Okay, so we're doing Vertigo by Akintoy? Uh, Akintoye. Akintoye. Okay. Vertigo by Akintoye. Interesting. Never heard of that before. Let's uh, do it. It's, it's very enjoyable. You're going to like it. I'm, I'm very much excited for it. And so that is what we're going to be doing on the next episode. We just finished episode 13. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Pretty, uh, pretty lucky. Pretty, you know what? I felt pretty good about it. Yeah. yeah. I felt good, too. Some pretty good albums. Yeah, as always, thank thank you all for listening. Uh, again, you can find us anywhere you want to for podcasts. We're on the internets. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. That is the best place to interact with us. Send us recommendations. Yeah, send us recommendations, because in two episodes from now, we are going to be doing a friends and family one. And yeah. We always need more friends and families to give us albums to to, to talk about. Truly. Uh, that that's where we get some of the most interesting yeah. stuff we've talked about so far. That's where we get the good stuff. That's definitely where it's uh, all of our. Where music we get the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, all of our music taste is boring. <laughs> we're too predictable. We're so fucking predictable. We we're, gotta mix it up. We're trying our best. Uh, Jared, thank you, thank you for the podcast episode. Of course, very good time. And, Thanks uh, for having me. Of course. Do you have anything in my house? Yeah, <laughs> uh, using your recording equipment. Uh, do you have anything you would like to tell the lovely people uh, before we say goodbye? Uh, don't be afraid to crank up that there amplifier. That there amplifier. It sounds. It sound. It'll sound good, even if it doesn't sound good. Led Zeppelin. I don't know. What the let, fuck let's I'm Led Zeppelin only played on like five watt amps, and look at them. <laughs> they're famous so no they're famous <laughs> so so can you if you just follow the Led Zeppelin steps to be famous there are a lot of famous people that you don't want to follow the steps of <laughs> step one small amplifier step two only recording drums and stairways step three steel money. music oh wait oh sorry yeah money <laughs> That sounds good. Yeah, I'm so happy Sterling got these symbols. Yeah, they they also look great, aren't they? Aren't they cool? Yeah, they are super cool. I love all the little dimples. Yeah, that's how you know they're good. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I have no idea what that contributes tonally to their to their uh, sound, but a dimply, uh, uh, <coughs> cute cuteness. Because they're <laughs> they're dimples. Look at all these smiles. <laughs> all right. So with. <laughs>